0: Thank you, Pastor Adam. Good morning, Grace Point. Good to see you. How many would rather be here than the best ICU unit anywhere in any hospital? Amen. Come on, stand back up with me. You sit down too quickly. You know better than that here. Amen. We do believe in standing and honoring God's word. I want to read in Genesis, the 28th chapter, Genesis 28, verses 10, beginning there, and we'll see how much to read. Amen. I want to talk to you about hashtag struggles. How many have ever had any struggles? A lot of people are struggling today with a lot of things. If you're not struggling today, you will be. I'm not prophesying that to you. I'm just a human. I've been on this planet. And there'll be struggles. There'll be difficulties. Sometimes we call it adversity. And uh, Pastor Adam is absolutely correct. I don't ever tell these worship leaders, uh, although I could, but I don't tell them what to sing or whatever, pick out the songs. Uh, but Pastor Adam is absolutely uh, correct that the songs are lining up exactly with what God has, has given me for this day. Uh, there's hardly anybody in the Bible that's more of a video picture in the Old Testament of struggle than the man named Jacob. And uh, Jacob's life was a struggle. For some 25-plus years, he struggled in a lot of things. And and in verse 10, it says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Those names in the Bible always mean something. Beersheba means the oath, the, the well of an oath. In other words, the promise. We sung about it, last song. So he's at a place in his life, he's actually leaving the place of promise And he's going to Haran. Haran means dry place. Haran means parched ground. Sometimes we don't always take the right choices, do we? So he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night. The King James says he lighted upon a certain place. In other words, it was not something he had planned. It was just the fact that he he, uh, haphazardly, if you will, landed at this certain spot. It wasn't a planned destination. He didn't have his GPS set to go there. Y'all with me? In other words, the reason he stopped there is because the sun set and he couldn't travel at night. How many knows that he couldn't control the sun setting? There's some things in your life that you cannot control. You can't control when the sun sets or when it arises. You just have to work with it. Is that right? There are some things in your life you can't control. and You need to stop trying to control things that you can't control. That's beyond your ability to control. Many times we worry about things that we can't control. You can't control another person. You can't control a lot of things that goes on in this world. So we spend a lot of anxiety and fear and dread worrying about things that we cannot control. But it says he went to a certain place there and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head. And he laid down in that place to sleep. How many knows that a stone don't make a good pillow? In other words, what's going on here? Times are hard. Things are different. Things are not normal. I'm sleeping on a rock. Sleeping on a hard place. Nobody wants to go. There's no stores in Valdosta that sell stones for pillows. Right? Things are not normal. We're not enjoying the comfort that we're accustomed to. We're not enjoying the softness and the posturpedic, orthopedic, whatever it is, mattresses. This is not one of those times. And he's, he's using things that are not really meant for that. But he, he took a stone and he laid it at his head and he made that his pillow. But then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. Now he's just trying to get some sleep. But the, the dream that God's put in you will still torment you in a good way. God won't let the dream die in you. You might just want to sleep, but God's still going to play the dream video for you. The dream that God has for you. God God dreams so many dreams, he gives them away. He said he gives old men dreams, young men visions. He dreamed a dream, and behold, a ladder was set up on the where? On the earth. Where do we live? On the earth. And his top reached to where? To heaven. And And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That's important to take note. They're ascending. They're going up, and they're descending. Where's God's angels? The Bible said they're ministering spirits among us. They're sent to minister to man. They're not in heaven. They're on earth. They're leaving earth, going up to heaven, and then they're coming back down. They're descending. They're they're, they're doing those things that God's called them to do. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land of which you lie on I will give to you and your descendants. And also, your descendants shall be the dust of the earth, and shall be as yes, the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, north, and south. And in you, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, God's reaffirming—he—he's walked away from the place of an oath or promise, but God's reminding him of the promise. Behold, I am with you. How I many knows that's worth everything right there? Well, he's on his way to Haran, parched ground, dry place. Desert place. But God says, but I'm with you. Look what it says. And I will keep you wherever you go. God said, I don't care where you go. You can't go nowhere. I ain't there waiting on you. Come on, somebody. And I will bring you back to this land. I'll bring you back to what I promised you. For I will not leave you till I've done everything that I told you. Can you see that? Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord's in this place, and I did not know it. Some of you need to wake up to the fact that the Lord's in this place, and you didn't even know it. How do you know he's in here, Brother? Because I read the Bible where two or three gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. If we really believe that, we'd worship different. We'd, we'd act different. Come on, somebody. And then he said in verse 17, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob rose early in the morning. He took that stone, and notice this. He took that stone that he had put at his head, and he set it up as a pillar, not pillow. See, what was a pillow? A hard pillow. In other words, what was a hard place in his life, he now anoints it with oil. Because those hard places in your life will become a memorial to you, and you say, because I was in that place, God made me strong. That, that place became a pillar. God turns pillows into pillars. Are you with me? See, I could say amen when I get through here and we go home it would be worth the ride. You see what I'm saying? He took a pillow, he poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. I promise you I'm not making this stuff up. But when God puts names in there, He's it's either play on words, the meaning. But if you I got a computer that I can click on words in the old covenant and it will pronounce them in Hebrew. Pretty cool. And when you click on Love's, this is what it says. Lose. L-O-O-Z-E. Lose is how it's pronounced. God will take the places of lose where you've lost. And he'll make it Bethel, the house of God. See, it used to be called Luz. You ever lost anything? But God said, I'm going to take Luz and turn it into Bethel. Are are you with me? You can be seated. Wasn't that good? Now, let me ask you this. If I say Bethlehem, what do you think of? House of bread. What else? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. If I say Bethlehem, who do you think of? Why? Why do you think of Jesus when I say Bethlehem? Because he was born there. That's right. So he was born there. So when you say Bethlehem, you think of Jesus. He is Bethlehem, the word means the house of bread. He is the bread that came down from above. But, But we think of Bethlehem because we think of Jesus that's the place of his birth that's where he was born but the first mention in scripture of the word bethlehem is in connection with death the death of Jacob's wife Rachel that's in we won't turn there but that's in Genesis 35 but Rachel died there Rachel died and this is the first time in the bible the word bethlehem is mentioned and and it's associated with the death of this this wife, this woman, and Rachel died giving birth to a son, and when she gave birth to the son, and there's a midwife attending to her, she had a hard labor, and, and uh, uh, she named him, before she died, Benoniah, which means the son of my sorrow. But his daddy, Jacob, renamed his son Benjamin, Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. Now, it's interesting that both of these names uh, relate to Jesus himself because Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, but he's also today seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, see, Jacob, to him, Bethlehem meant a place of death. But, but, but Jacob, he, he, that's how he viewed it, but nobody today really, when I said Bethlehem, you didn't think of death. You didn't think of it as a place of death. You thought of it as a place of life. Bethlehem is a place of life because Bethlehem is the place birthplace of Jesus Christ. No, nobody thinks of it as a place of death. Uh, it, it's it's, it's a, not a death place, a burial place, but it's a birthplace. And, and what I'm trying to say to you is because Jesus died and, and, and was buried and rose again, then, then God's able to take those places of death. And turn it into a place of life. See, uh, this man Jacob, those verses I read, is just one little snapshot of his his struggle. And I want to tell you something. All all of us are going to struggle to some degree in some things. Are you with me? This is not a hard sermon. This is something that we all have a, a commonality in. But that hard places will come. I had people ask me, "I'll say, why is life so hard? Why is it so difficult? Because this ain't heaven." Like Rod Parsley used to like to say, "There's a devil loose on this planet." You know, I hear people prayed ridiculous prayers. I mean, the church does so much crazy stuff. It's wonder we got any sense. And they'll say, "Devil, I rebuke you back to hell from whence thou comest." Devil ain't never been to hell. Most of the time, the word hell in the Bible means grave. Look it up. Means the place of death. It means grave. It don't mean fire and pitchfork and somebody shoveling coal. It's just ridiculous. The Bible says where the devil's at, he's walking to and fro in the earth, seeking whom he may devour. You can't send him to hell. He's never been there. He'll get a trip there. Don't worry. Hard places will come. You know, we call it adversity. But I want you to think about this. I, I try to say things that maybe will help you remember. But when you go through adversity, what you need to do is add a verse. In other words, really, when you're sick, then you add a verse. You're going through the sickness, you're going through an adversity called sickness. So you add a verse. By his stripes, I was healed. We talked about that last Sunday. When you're going through financial difficulty and lack, you're going through adversity because of finance, then you add a verse. But my God, yeah, I got all this, but my God shall supply how many of my needs? All of my needs according to what? To his riches. His bank account don't go down just because yours does. According to his riches in glory, well, how does it come though? Through Christ Jesus. So, so you you, you just you just have to add a, add a verse. Now, Jacob, his whole life had been a struggle for 25 years. He had struggled constantly, and it actually began if you read the Bible in his mother's womb, because his brother Esau didn't want him to be born. <laughs> so Esau, there were twins. So Esau. Came out for it. And the Bible tells us this stuff. And Jacob grabbed hold of Esau's heel. And one of his, na- his name, actually means heel grabber. <laughs> and 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 God had had promised him though the, the blessing, but yet there was something in Jacob. He he just didn't trust God to bring it to pass. And he was always trying to to obtain what God had promised through his own wisdom. And through his own, uh, actually, trickery and, 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 and manipulation, he was trying to get the blessing that God had already promised him before his birth that, that he would get. And, and so you remember the story. You know, he deceived his father. He went in before his father, and, and he deceived. He dressed up like his brother and deceived his father to, for his father to speak the blessing over him. And, and thereby, we don't understand that in our American culture, but in the Hebraic culture, he stole his brother's birthright. Through that pronounced, spoken blessing uh, by Isaac over Jacob, and, and of course, how uh, I many knows Esau wasn't happy about that, and actually he made a death threat on him. He said, "The day our, he said I'm not going to kill you till Daddy dies." He said, "But once our Daddy dies, you're a dead man. I'm gonna, I'm coming for you. You you can you can count on it." And so he lived. J, uh, uh, Jacob lived with that death threat o- over his life all the time, and and. Uh, he, he he actually fled from his brother's threat, and, and 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 he got deceived when he went to to be married. He got tricked. In other words, Jacob's whole life. One of his his name Hebrew meaning of his name is deceiver. So in other words, he used deception a lot to try to deceive people to get what he what God had actually promised him. But look what happens to him. He, he turns around and he gets deceived himself. So he wants to marry Rachel. That's who he's in love with. But, the, but her daddy worked out some kind of little scam on him, and he ended up having to marry Leah first. And he had to work a number of another year, seven more years, or whatever it was, to be able to receive and to marry uh, Rachel. He, he, he didn't even really want to marry Leah, but he got deceived into that. And then his, uh, his father, uh, Isaac, died. And so here comes Esau, just like he promised him. He's coming to kill him. And I don't mean Esau's coming like just by himself. The Bible said that Esau is coming after Jacob, and he's accompanied by 400 soldiers. How many knows this is not going to be a fair fight? He's meaning that he's going to do just what he promised him, and because he stole his birthright, he's going to kill him, and he's brought 400 soldiers with him to make sure it gets done. And so we, we we pick up on that in Genesis now 32, Genesis the 32nd chapter. I just want to read these verses for you, verse 22. Okay to read the Bible here? And the Bible says that, that he arose that night and he took his wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and he crossed over the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and he set them over the brook and, and, and he sent over what he had. In other words, he, he's really trying to protect them from this slaughter that he knows is coming. So he puts them in a safe place and then he crosses this river to get over there uh, and, and, and get them in, in a safe area. And verse 24 says, then Jacob was left alone and a man, notice this capital M-A-N, who's this man? You can say it, Jesus, we're in the old Testament, but it's still Jesus because Jesus made many We call it pre-incarnated visitations on this planet Earth. And we know that a lot of times when the Bible says the angel of the Lord came, the capital A, that's Jesus. How do you know that? Because they worship him and it's allowed. No regular angel will receive worship from a human. We see that in Scripture as well. Are you with me? Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks, but he said, I will not let you go. This is Jacob talking, now. I will not let you go until you bless me. Let me tell you what Jacob's not asking for. He's not asking for goosebumps. He's asking to be transformed and changed. And so he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Sometimes you just need to say what your name is. In other words, Jacob didn't like to say Jacob because Jacob knew what his name meant. He, so he, God's saying, what are you? He said, and what, really, literally what he's saying is, I'm a deceiver. God said, well, I'm glad you see it. He said, but he said to him, your name's not going to be that anymore. Your name shall be called what? Israel. Because you have struggled with God and what? With men. And you have prevailed. See, we, we don't understand this, this, this scene that we've got here. Now, I just want to make several points to you. This is not going to take me long this morning. Jacob did not pray for Jesus to come and wrestle with him. Jesus decided to come himself to a man who is at the point of really death. Here comes his brother with 400 soldiers. He's left alone. He don't know what's going to happen. And, and in, that, in, that, in that night moment of his life, Jesus himself appears in a angelic form, in a form in which the, the most intimate thing that can happen happens wrestling. And Jesus gets a hold of him and, and he wrestles and, 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 and it's a night season. Now what are you wrestling with? He said, with God and man. He said, you've wrestled with God and man. You, you, you struggle with God, but you've also struggled with man. You know, people talking about, I, I don't need anything but God. That's, that's the dumbest statement I've ever heard. I don't need anything but God. That's, God's, you just cut off every avenue of God's blessing. You, have you not read in the Bible, God said, I'll cause men to give unto your bosom. God's not going to deliver it to you by himself. It's going to come through people. God's not made any of us to live like islands to ourselves. I don't need nobody. Yeah, you do need people. You need that favor that God's put in your life. You need people to recognize that favor. God's going to use people. Whether they're saved or lost, he's still going to use them. You understand? God God, God is working on your behalf. He's working on your behalf. And so so they, they wrestled and they wrestled. And, 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 and the Lord says these kind of strange, they're strange to our ears because it's hard for us to imagine it. But Jesus actually says to Jacob, let me go for the day breaks. Now, what does that mean? He says, let me go. You're that close to your breakthrough. In other words, listen to me. This is my take on it. This is what I believe. He, he's saying, won't you let me go like you did every other time? You're this close to your breakthrough, but go ahead and turn me loose. That's what you've done every time. Anytime it got hard, anytime you begin to hurt, anytime it didn't feel good, you always turn me loose. See, God will never turn you loose, but you can, turn God, you can turn God loose. I said God will never turn you loose. God's not going to leave you alone, no matter what you say to Him. You can cuss Him out; He'll still be there. God's not going to. God paid too much for you just to say, "Well, I'm done with you." God will not do that. It cost him his life. He's, he's going to work for it. He says, won't you uh, let me go for the day breaks? He says, I will not let you go till you bless me. Bless means to you you change me. I, in other words, just what happened, he wanted a name change. I want you to change me from Jacob to something else because I don't like being Jacob. I don't like it. He says, let me go. And, 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 he, and, and it said, now, here we go. And he touched the hip. So we don't understand that. It don't matter. Just read for what it says. He touched the hip; his hip became dislocated. Now, as a paramedic for twenty years, I picked up many people that had dislocated shoulders, dislocated hips. You know that, and it's a very painful, painful thing that they're going through. And 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 so I want you to see this imagery here. Jacob is hurting, but he still won't turn God loose. Now, now, Now look at me. Listen. Can you hang on while you're hurting? You ever had to hang on when you're hurting? You m- you remember in Acts 28 when the Apostle Paul was being transported to Rome to, to face execution, and he was to go before Agrippa and Pilate and, and be tried, and, and he's on this ship, and the Lord had visited him in the night and said that that there would be no life lost if they would abide and do what Paul said. And and the Bible says that they were in a tremendous storm, like a hurricane. The ship got destroyed on rocks, and it broke apart. Now, the soldiers, when they saw the ship breaking apart, the, the, the command was given to pull their swords and kill every prisoner on the boat, lest they escape. And Paul admonished them not to do it, and he told them there'd be no life lost and, and, and to put up their swords and for whatever reason, they probably want to save their own hide. they listened to him. But the Bible says the ship broke completely apart. And it said that they made it to shore to this little island called Malta and floating on pieces of wood. Now, I mean, knows that's not the best, that don't make the best transporting mechanism out in the ocean in the middle of a storm. But, but thank you, brother. But they, they, but they made it. Thank you. But they made it on a piece of wood. Do you? I don't. You, y'all ain't tracking me. You, you ever, how many of you made it on a piece of a car? How many ever had a piece of a car? You wouldn't even call it a car. This is just a piece of a car. When Jill and I got married, I had a Camaro Z28. We got married in 1980, it was 1979, I hadn't had it long, 350 motor, T-tops, you don't know nothing about that, just Google it, (laughs) midnight blue, trimmed in baby blue, baby blue leather seats, you crank that thing up, it went, just growled, I thought I was something else in that car, take them T-tops off, and I just thought, if I'm just riding by, girls are just going to dive in this car. Man, I met that little girl, <laughs> fell in love with her, but I couldn't afford her and that Camaro. <laughs> I couldn't. It was taking every bit of my money just to make that car payment and that insurance every month. But you know what? My love for her just meant more to me than that Camaro did. And I remember I literally just gave the car away to a guy, a guy from Albany, Georgia, bought the car, and and he knew he had me over the barrel, and he wanted me to make the you know, the the, the, the payment that was coming up due, I had to make that payment for him. He said, Well, you make that payment, then I'll take it. And so I did. Now, what she was driving was a 1969 yellow Volkswagen, VW, Beetle, Bug, whatever you want to call it. I went from a Camaro Z28 350 motor to a yellow, no offense if you got yellow, but that wasn't my color, a yellow. VW car. I, no air conditioning. And I want to say no heat, but it had blow torches that would blow the hair off your ankles if you ever been in a Volkswagen. You don't, if you didn't, you don't know what I'm talking about. But it had two little levers. You pull up for heat, whoosh, whoosh, and it, you, you freeze up top, but your ankles is warm. And I drove that for several years because my payments on that car were $50 a month instead of like, whatever that was, $400 a month on that Camaro. What I'm trying to say with that is love makes you do some things differently and see things differently. You know, no, I, I didn't no, I didn't ever pull up somewhere and I go, man, you look cool. <laughs> and I really hated it in that Volkswagen if I ever had to blow the horn because it didn't even have a real horn. I mean, it didn't even have a real horn. At least put a regular horn on it. But they put a horn that matched the way the car looked. <laughs> but we was happy in that. I was, you know, not thrilled, but it got me back to the Tifton to the ambulance service where I worked. And because it may, but but never did I look at that and go, "Well, I, you know, I really have my, I, I, I wanted what I had. I wanted my wife, and just things are different." So you 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 got to see. That, in, in, that Jacob's going through a hard time. He's wrestling. He says, let me go. You're, you, you, the day breaks, your breakthrough's close. He said, I won't. I'm, he's hurting. He won't. And at that moment, God said, what's your name? He said, deceiver. That's what, that's what it's been up to this moment. God said, no more. You shall not be called Jacob any longer. But you shall be called Israel. Now I don't know if you grasp what a big deal this moment is, because this is where the nation of Israel got their name. This is not just between God and one person. This is, this is where a nation was birthed. The, the whole world knows today, Israel. When you say Israel, they think of the land, they think of the, the nation Israel in the Middle East, but they don't hardly nobody thinks, but, 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 but Jacob became Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Really Israel. He became that that's who not God because of that overcoming power that God did there. See, the the problem that many of us have is that we 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 believe in God. In other words, we know God exists. I mean, how can you not? We believe in God, but we doubt what God has said when it comes specifically. Listen to me, concerning us. And and really. What they were singing about in the last song, we doubt those promises that God has. And see, we 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 say stuff out of our mouth. And that second song they sung was was talking about declaring those things and speaking those things and the power that's in my tongue. And see, but we say this is this is what a lot of us say. I'm not saying that I've I've been immune from this myself. We say, well, we just say, well, I just can't see it. You ever heard that? I just can't see it. I, I I can't see how it will work. I can't see how God's going to do it. I I, I can't see how that we are going to afford it. I I can't see how that it's going to come out. See, we we can't see God's promises, listen, because we're so focused on our problems. Do y'all see how God's working this together? I didn't tell them to sing what they're singing. It matches perfectly. See, every day when you and I wake up, now listen to me, we got a choice. I have it. You have it. And, and, and do you wake up with the problem or do you wake up with the promise? That, that's your choice. That's my choice every day. If you're like me, listen to me. If you're like me, sometimes it just seems like this is the worst place for me. Yours may be in the shower. I, I don't know where yours is. But, but with me lying in the bed, a lot of times when I first wake up in the morning, I just want to lay there just a minute, you know, trying to get orientated. Okay, we got a day here. But sometimes you you know immediately your brain kicks in and goes to to operating, and 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 sometimes when I'm lying in bed awake I begin to think about my problems, and and I think about what could go wrong, and then I get into that what if. I know you've never done that, but just pray for me. I need your prayers, and you need to practice. Okay, so so uh, but but I start thinking about what if, what if this happened? What what if that don't happen? What if this does happen? And I think about. And this one really bugs me. I think about what if I had done things differently. If I'd have done X, Y, and Z, I wouldn't be in this mess I'm in right here. Boy, I, I have armed myself with that thought a lot of times. Because I, I would, you know, if I, had, if I knew what I know now back then, I'd be totally debt-free right now. <laughs> I'd, have made, I'd, have, I'd have made plans. I'd have worked that thing. You understand what I'm saying? But, but, but see, again, we're, we're in that what-if land. And, and uh, but this is what I have to, and when I get to that place, listen, I feel myself just going right down the old pit. In other words, that's, you know, what's waiting at the bottom of the pit? Depression, anxiety, despair, worry. Now, Jesus said, don't worry about how many things? Anything, nothing. He said, be anxious for how much? Did he really expect us to do that? And you know the example that Jesus used? He said, he said I, I, he commanded us, don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. And then he said, look, then he said this. He said, you see that sparrow right there? Sparrow, bird. You see that little sparrow? He said, now I want to say to you that not one of them falls out of that tree to the earth that the father doesn't know it. And then he asked the question, he said, are you not more valuable to me than sparrows? He said, for I say to you that those sparrows do not sow seed and plant gardens and reap harvest, but yet I say my Father feeds every one of them. Now you say, well, I feed the birds at my house. I told you God would use men to bless. (laughs) God just using you. Do you see what I'm saying? Now that's the example that Jesus gave. Jesus said, are you not more valuable than a bird, than a sparrow? The least of of value a bird was in that that day, a sparrow. And he said, so don't be anxious for that. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, wear. He said, all those things, the Gentiles, what he means by that is the lost people. That's what they're concerned about. But he said, you're my kid. You don't have to worry about that. Well, when I start worrying about stuff like that, I have to quote myself scripture. I have to say, well, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. I mean, whatever you, I mean, something, I promise you a scripture will come to your mind if you've ever read the Bible at all or heard it sung in song. And when that comes to your mind, I don't know how many times through the week, Demisha, that I'll, a song that you guys have sung, I'll just be walking, you know, it'll just, it'll be one song that just, just keep playing over and over. Just one song, keep playing over. And that's usually a song that that contains words that I need to hear in that moment. See, now I want to say this to you. Listen, I'm about done. If you come to Jesus with a promise instead of coming to Jesus with your problem, then something's getting ready to happen in your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you come to Jesus with a problem and you make that your focus, and you go back, like we were. Pastor Adam was mentioned. If you, if you don't speak to that thing, if you don't speak to that mountain, so to speak, if you, you know, God never told you to pray about the mountain. He's told you to speak to it. Well, it may be, just look like it's so big. And notice he said mountain. He didn't say molehill. I mean, that's huge. I mean, nobody can move a mountain with words. But yet in the kingdom of God, you can. In the kingdom of God, you can. So every, every miracle, listen to me, I'm, I'm almost done. Every miracle that God has ever done, people talk about the, the, the gift of miracles. Listen, there is no gift of miracles in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it names nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, one of those gifts is called the working of miracles. Everybody say working. See, that's the word you don't like. But if you want to see a miracle, you got to work one. The working, the gift is the working of miracles. And I can tell you in the Bible you won't find miracles without there be some working with it. And I don't mean the miracle comes because if it was by human effort it wouldn't be a miracle. But you you and I are co-laborers with God. We are co-laborers with God. And so every, listen to me, every miracle that God has done, he has to have something to work with. And you working with God, listen, is you your, your faith being demonstrated and extended. In other words, you're doing like we talked about last Sunday. You're not trying to get God to respond to you. You're responding to God. You're responding with your faith to what grace has already freely provided for you. That, that, that's what it is. And uh, when, when God says that he wants you to, God has to have something to work with, it, it doesn't have to be very much. It doesn't have to be much at all. It can be five loaves and two small fishes, but God can take that little bit and feed thousands with it. Do you not see that in the Scripture? It can be like the woman in the old covenant. It, it, it just had a little oil in a jar, but God's got to use that little bit that you got, and then it poured and all the vessels were filled. It, it, it can be just a little bit, a handful of flour, in a, in a barrel, and and the prophet says, "Make me a cake," and she has to use that little bit. Remember, she said, "I I was just going to cook that, and we, me and my sons going to eat that and die." You got, that's, a, that's a pretty uh, desperate place to be. But yet she uses what she had, and God turned around and multiplied it. And the Bible said the, 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 the flower in the, in the barrel, it never ceased to be there. It, it, that's a miracle. It could be just a little money. You know, a tithe is a very little amount, just 10%. God takes that and does more than 100% could do by itself. How many found that to be true besides this preacher? And see, it, listen, sometimes it don't even have to be anything tangible. Remember, the disciples had fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus gets in the boat, and, 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 and uh, he told them in just one, one of the stories there, he told them to cast that launch out. It didn't cost them anything tangible. They just, they just obeyed the word and, 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 and shoved off from the shore, and they caught a great load of fish. Sometimes it's not even something tangible, and, and, and it filled, filled the boat. Re- remember uh, Peter in the Bible. I don't know if I mentioned this last Sunday or not, but Peter, he found himself owing taxes. Y'all know April's coming, don't you? But he found himself owing taxes, and he didn't have the money to pay it. Now, what did Peter do for a living? What was his vocation? When Jesus found him, he was a what? Fisherman. Okay, so, so he comes to him. And, uh, uh, you know, he says, Lord, I, 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 need, I, need, I need some money for my taxes. What did Jesus do? He needs something to work with, remember? He says, now go cast in. The Bible says he told him to cast in a hook. Remember, Peter is a net fisherman. God's asking you to do it a little bit different, but it's still within your zone of expertise and experience. With Okay, so he, didn't, he couldn't do it like he did on the boats, throw in a net. He told him to cast in. The Bible says throw in a hook. That means he's got a line and a hook. When I went down and we went on our first, one of them, first mission trips uh, to the Yucatan Peninsula many years ago, I remember when I got down there and you got all these Zonamaya Maya Indians and all this stuff, and these guys fish, but when they said that we're going to fishing. And all they had was a stick and a line wrapped around the stick and a hook. And that's how they fish. I thought we was going to break out the Zebcos or something. You know what I'm saying? That's not how they fish. And they take and they throw that out there. And, and they got that line wrapped around that stick, and really they just grabbed a line with their hand and they catch a fish, and they just reel it in with their hand. And and they was catching them. You don't have to have a Zebco 33 I found out to catch a fish. He told Peter, he said, throw in a hook. And listen to what he said. This Here comes the miracle part, and he's got to work with him. Now, you can sit there and you can say, well, why I got to do that? Why? I, I, don't, I don't feel like fishing, or I, I don't want to do that. That's not the way I do it you got to do what God says. God's trying to extract faith out of you. He throws in a hook, and then Jesus said, the first fish that you catch, open its mouth, and inside you'll find a gold coin. Take that, pay your taxes, and Jesus said, while you're down there, pay mine also. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Pay mine while you're down there. And, uh, now, listen, there's a lot of prophetic symbolism in that. The, the Bible says, I told you this last Sunday, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Fish represent what? Men. Most of the time, they represent men. And, and, and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It, so that, that, that fish represents man. Where's the money at? Where's the money at in the fish? It's in his mouth. What do we talk about Today. The Bible over and over, I could give you verse after verse, it says the fruit of your lips. What kind of fruit is your lips producing? What, in other words, what kind of fruit is your words producing? What do you say in private? It's one thing, I, we, we all know, the, you know, we know to say the right talk, oh yes, glory to God, hallelujah. But I'm talking about it at the house when nobody's there. See, let me, let, me, let me tell you what kept a whole nation out of the promised land, Hebrew says. It, it and this is in the book of Numbers, the, the, but God said that they murmured in their tents. See, it wasn't what they said at the tabernacle that got them in trouble. It's what they said in their own homes. Because they, they would be positive at the tabernacle, but they get home, they murmured and complained in their tents. Listen, God hears all that. God's not paying you back, but your words are paving a, a pathway for you. And whatever you got to do, you, you have to say what God says. You have to line yourself up and come in agreement with what God says. I remember when I went through the worst I'm going to make this real short, because some of you have heard this many, many times, but I can't come up with a new life. But my first cousin was 10 months older than me, and he was in uh, Jackson State Prison, and he'd been in regional Prison. He'd served a stretch in regional Prison for habitual violator. And now he's in Jackson State Prison. He's up there, I remember, on his wing was the Atlanta child murderer. Remember that guy? On the same hallway with my cousin. And I had not had any communication with my cousin in years. Not that I hated him or anything, but he would just, you know, I was doing my thing, working, trying to provide my family, and he'd he lived a rough life. He's serving time now again. Went regional first time, and, and now he's in, in Jackson State Prison. Had a stretch there several years. And uh, I was going through a hard place in my life. Now, there, you know, it's not important for me to really go into all the details, but, but I, was, I was depressed at a level that I can't even describe, okay? And, and as a believer, you hate to admit that, but, but I'm, I'm going back a lot of years here now. This is in 1985, and I, was, I, was just, I thought about dying every day. And you're real vulnerable when you're in that zone because people come up with cures to tell you, we'll do this, we'll pray this, I remember I had one person told me that I need to take my shoes off and put my Bible on the floor, and I'm not being funny here, and stand on my Bible, you know, and then pray this prayer. I did it. I remember another Christian that I, you know, told me that I needed to anoint every door and window in my home. We were living in Tifton then and renting a house, and so my whole house smelled like olive oil. That's how much I slopped it on. You know what I'm saying? I door doorpost lintel. I mean, I anointed every door window, prayed every prayer. And this trial, and, and I was physically sick on top of that. And I'm not making this up. I, I had gone to the hospital. I had guided me. That they'd run the tube down and looked in my throat and took pictures. And my lining in my stomach was eating raw. You know what? That was just anxiety and everything. Just having, And I couldn't keep anything down. And my wife is sitting back there, and she would tell you, I'm not exaggerating in one speck, I throw it up every day of my life for four months. Four months. Went back to the doctor a second time because I got dehydrated. Again, if you're not eating, you're not doing good. So I've got emotional battles. i got spiritual battles. i got physical battles. And I had just got promoted to be the chief of the merchant Medical Service, and I took over January 1st. And it had nothing to do with that job. However, all my employees thought I was just losing it, of the pressure of being the chief. I was just 26 years old. I was in a bad way. I don't know what I was going to do. I, I remember being... I just wanted to focus on something. I remember that I had 34 employees as full and part-time roster. I'm the chief. You know what I'm saying? And I remember I went and bought paint. We called it the deck. You know, we used a lot of military terms. But I was painting our front porch at our, our station, our main headquarters. And I remember standing on, I was out there painting with one brush, and I just wanted to do it myself so that way I could focus on something. And I remember looked, I looked up at a window and I saw two of my employees looking out the window watching me paint, looking at me like I was a nut bag. And I remember when I looked up and saw that and I could tell the look, they were looking at me like I was a nutcase and losing it. Tears run down my face. About an hour or so after that, one of my employees came in to my office and said, Chief, what's wrong with you, man? All I could do was cry. I couldn't even tell him what was wrong with me. All I could do was cry. I felt like a nut. Every time I go to church, I cried. I mean, where, where I went, I cried. I, I just, the only thing brought me any kind of level of peace was just walking and praying. And I know what in the world's going on in my life. So I know what it is to drink from that well of depression. I've been there. I can lead a tour if you need to go. I don't advise it. But I know where it's at. It's when you get your eyes on your problems instead your promises. And you get them off of Jesus and get them on you. See, when you focus on the problem, then it's all about you and what you're going to do. But when you focus on the promise, it's all about God and what he has done. It's a totally different way of living. And I just end this story with this, and I know some of you have heard it, and please forgive me if you get sick of hearing this, but I don't get tired of telling it. But I, I was just having a rough time, and I went back to the doctor. My dad went with me. He was worried about me. I remember my dad told me several times, son, I don't know what to do. I've prayed, me and your mama's prayed, I don't know what to do with you. And I went to see... A doctor, he still practices inbound Valdosta. He wasn't inbound at that time. But I went to see this doctor. And, uh, and, and so he looked at me, examined me and whatever. And he said, well, I'm going to have to admit you back in the hospital again. We've got to do what we did last time. We've got to get you built back up. We've got to get some fluids. You're dehydrated. Get your electrolytes back right. You're in a mess, man. And so he walked out of the room to, go get, to do the orders for admission. I told my dad, I said, go get him. My dad was in the room with me. He was, so, he was that worried. He said, go, I said, go get him. I'm not going in the hospital again. I said, Daddy, I ain't even paid the 20% the first time. I, I just can't do it. I'm just not doing it. <clears throat> so he went and got the doctor to doctor come back. Now, let me tell you, the doctor was not happy. He was not like, oh, okay. He's like, he gave me the old riot act. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he talked rough to me. <clears throat> and this is what he said to me, and I promise you, I'm not exaggerating. My dad was standing right there. He said, listen to me. He said, you're in a downward spiral. If you don't break this cycle, you're going to die. And he said, I don't mean philosophically. He said, I mean literally. You're going to physically die if you don't break this cycle. That didn't help me none. Because if I could have broke it, I'd already broke it. You see what I'm saying? And uh, I said, well, I'm sorry. He said, well, I'm writing you up as... AMA. That means against medical advice. And he charted it. In other just on me, not on him, because I refused for admission. I remember when I, when I walked out in the parking lot that day with my dad. My dad lived in AD. I lived in Tifton. I had to go back to Tifton. <clears throat> and I said, Daddy, you heard what he said. This is what I said. Now, I ain't saying this is right. I'm just telling you the story. I said to my dad, I said, if somebody don't get a hold of God for me, I'm, I'm done for. Now, at the house, I got a wife, I got a little son, and a pregnant wife with my daughter on board. I'm 26, and it's all going apart. And my daddy, when I told him that, I loaded him with that. That's why I don't get a hold of God for me. Now, let me tell you something. I had sought prayer. I had had my present pastor in Tifton pray for me. I had drove back to my former pastor in Adel and had him gather me in and pray for me. I'd gotten more prayer and slick, slick my head with olive oil more than anybody, but it didn't seem like I was getting any better. I don't know what there. I, I remember riding in that little car back to Tifton on Forty One, had to pull over before I got to Lenox and dry heave out the door. I remember being by the side of the road with my head hanging out that car, feeling like the biggest piece of trash and loser that could be on the planet. Just, just, closed the door. Went to the went to the house. Now I was trying to survive on Gatorade and liquid stuff, you know. And uh, my wife didn't know what to do with me. Bless her heart. I really got scared a few times. I figured she's going to leave me through the middle of all that because she's just going to get sick of it. And, uh, you know, I for four months, a long time. And. Uh, you know, I would come home every day because I was a chief, so I got, you know, I was 8 to 5, so I'd come home at 12. And I, I'm not making this up, she'd tell you. And so I was raised Pentecostal, so I thought you got to yell at God to get him to hear you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, mean, I would come home at 12 because I couldn't eat, and I'd go into a back bedroom, and I would pray, and she would hear me pray for 50 minutes as hard as any man could pray and as loud as he could pray. Because I was like a, a guy dying trying to, I'm uh, you know, trying to survive. And, I, I, and I'm not exaggerating. This is the story. Let me tell you what God does. When I, after I got back to Tifton and went, he had to go back to work, got to feed them people at the house, you know. <laughs> and I remember it was just a day or two. My uncle called me. Now, this is a real cool part of the story. This building that you're sitting in, you listening to me, this used to be ITT Thompson Industries. This right where you're sitting in. used to be a factory. And my uncle worked here. He was a supervisor. And in my office, right next to my office is another office that we now have a conference room. That was my uncle's office, just like it is today, except they had his desk and all in there. And he worked here. And my uncle called me from this building. And he called to Tifton and said, Dale, I got a letter from prison today from Phil, and it's all about you. I wanted to read it to you and I'll give it to you as soon as I see you the next time. And I said, okay. And I'm just sitting at my desk. I didn't know that God was about to do a miracle for me. And this is my, and I have the letter, and this is how it goes. And he wrote it to his dad, but it was about me. He said, Daddy, he said, I had a dream about Dell last night, but I believe it was a vision for it was more real than any dream that I'd ever had. And he said, I saw Dale and his face was real sad. And he was crying a lot. And he said it was snowing heavily all around him. And he said the snow was getting deeper and deeper. And he said, I heard a voice from heaven say to Dale, throw away your crutches. He said, but the look on Dale's face, it was the wrong thing for him to do. And he just kept struggling, struggling in the snow with those crutches. But then it says, but finally, Dale threw down his crutches And at that very moment, the sun came out. Dale's face changed to a bright glow. And he began to lift both of his arms to heaven and praise and magnify God. And while he had his arms up, Daddy, he said, a suit of armor descended upon him and slipped over his shoulders and covered him. He said, and then the snow had melted all the, I mean, the sun had melted all the snow and it had turned it into a great big lake. But this lake was full of fish but these fish had the faces of men, but they looked like they had been attacked and mangled all over. He said, Daddy Dale reached down and picked up a fish and began to cast it into the lake. And he began to catch those fish. And he would reel them in and he would take them out of the water and they would change to, this is what it says in the letter, full flesh men. And they would lift both of their arms and begin praise and magnify God. That was the vision. That was the dream. When my uncle, as he was reading that to me, I felt like a heat went down my esophagus. Literally. And it felt like it got into my stomach and just swirled. It was a sensation. I had a feeling. Now, let me tell you something. After you've not eaten in four months, you're not going to go home and eat a steak. Even though God did something awesome inside me, I went home and I started with soup. Chicken noodle, by the way. (laughs) And you work your way back. I had lost down to 29 inches in the waist. It was hard for me to keep my britches on. That's how much weight I lost. But God brought me back every day and restored me. I've never had a problem eating since. (laughs) And I've not lost down to 29 inches again, although I could go a little bit, but, you know, I could afford to do that. So don't want to do it that way, though. All I'm telling you is whatever it takes for God, God's there. I need an angel to come. When you need one, God will send one. I hadn't got one. Well, you don't need one. God is a good father. He knows exactly what you need. He knew what I needed. He, knew what you, he knows what you need. He's not going to do it the same way. He never makes two snowflakes the same. He never makes two people the same. God is unlimited in his creativity and his ability to, to, to augment your life and to speak to you and to deal with you and to, and to communicate with you. He, he's, he's that God. And you're looking at somebody that, and, af, and I remember after that season in my life, it didn't mean that, you know, but, but God healed me, God, you know, and I remember, and, and I had, as amazing as it is, I had forgot that my uncle had called me from this building. And I remember when I first came down to this church and I began to pastor this church. And, 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 and the church, you know, ha, had gone through some difficult times. And so I'm here, and I have accepted the assignment, and, And and, and I'm the pastor. And I didn't come riding in on a white charger. I can't save myself, much less the church or anything else. So I had no visions of grandeur that I was going to be the Messiah. I know who the Messiah is, and I know who he's not. But I came to serve, and I came to do what God had called me to do. But I remember I even had my moments here being really discouraged. Because when I first came, you know, there wasn't very many people. And I remember, you know, I said, well, I left over 300 people where I was pastoring, and I did to come here. I must have been stupid. What kind of drug was I on that got me to accept this situation here? And I thought it was going to do this, this, this real fast, but it didn't do this, this, this real fast. And I remember I called all our community groups in and we were meeting in here every Wednesday night. And I was just trying to get to know the people and know the leaders. And and, 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 and the crowds wasn't what I wanted. And I I, I was feeling very discouraged one Wednesday night. And a man walked up that I have never seen before or since. And he walked up after this Wednesday night service and he said, Pastor, can I talk to you for a moment? And I said, sure. He did this. I remember he was doing it. He said, man, it sure is unusual to see this place as a church. He said, this right here used to be a factory. I said, that's what I understand. Now, I didn't know at that time until that man said that. Listen, I knew my uncle worked in Valdosta, and I knew he worked for IT&T. But I had no idea that it was actually from this building that day he called me. See how cool this is? I didn't know. I just thought somewhere. I didn't know where the building was in Valdosta. I'd never been to my uncle. I didn't know. He said, "Yeah, I worked here." He said, "Now your last name is Young, right?" And I said, "Yes, sir." He said, "Are you any kin to a Jimmy Young?" I said, "That's my uncle." He said, "Well, he was my boss." He said, we worked together in this building. I said, it was in this building? He said, in this literal building. This was our factory. This is where we worked. And, uh, and, and when he said that, it was like the Spirit of the Lord came on me real strong. God said, I had called you to this place before you even knew I called you to this place. And listen, and listen, and the phone call that my uncle gave to me from here to Tifton, that was the call that called me into the ministry. And, and, well, let me say this, that was the call that settled it for me. I knew I was called to be a fisher of men. And I knew I was to help people that the devil had clawed and mangled and attacked all over. And I was to use the gospel and I was to throw in the net and I was to declare God's healing power and deliverance and, and salvation to people. And I knew he would, if I do what, I, what God said, that he would change them to full-flesh men. And he would heal those mangled and attacked places in their lives. I can't do it, God does it. Are you with me? And that night on that Wednesday night, standing right here, almost right where Pastor Adams at, that man encouraged me, and I left here that night. And I immediately the next morning, I called my uncle, and I said, Uncle Jim, there was a guy in my service last night and said that where I'm at. And my uncle didn't even know where I was pastoring. We hadn't communicated. And I said, I'm pastoring down there in Bad Austin. and I told him where I was at in the name of the church. He said, yeah. He said, that used to be where I worked. He said, he said, the offices, he said, you go in the offices. He described, and that's why I know right where his office was, because in the office I'm in, that's where the big boss, he said. That was their office. And then the right side, used to be another one of our pastors, he said that was my office right next to him. And he told me who the boss was. He said, yeah. He said, he said son, that's the very building I called you from that day when Phil mailed me that letter. He mailed it to there. And God, God was letting me know that when I called you into the ministry, son, I called you from a very place that I would eventually send you to. If you think that's coincidence, you don't know Papa that I'm talking to and God just as surely wants me here, and he just as surely wants you here. And God's got a plan for your life. And no matter what the devil's done, how, how attacked or mangled or depressed or, or whatever, I want to promise you he's not going to leave you like that. He didn't do that to you in the first place. Now, why would you have to go through that? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure most of mine was self-inflicted, like most of our stuff is. It was just my doubt, my unbelief, not, not trusting God. I don't know what it was. But God brought me through. And God used a miraculous way. And I remember after that season in my life, God began to speak to me. God did so many miracles. He told me to move back to Adele, to Cook County. I didn't know that he wanted me to start a church there. But and you understand, I was a chief, and I had been mandated to move to Tiff County because of my position. And, but I had such a boldness when I heard God say, move back to Cook County. So I went before the chairman of the commissioner, and I said, Mr. Ken, I'd like to move back to Cook County. Knowing this, it may cost me my job. And but I was willing to lay the job down if that's what was going to happen. And I remember he sat there and it seemed it was seemed like a long time. It's probably no more than 15, 20, 30 seconds. And he just sat there a minute, looked, he said, well, he said, you know what? He said, You can live anywhere you want to. He said, Your job is administrative. Your, your job's not to run calls and get up here and he said, so uh live where you want to live. I remember it freaked out the department. They couldn't believe I could live where I want to live. And, and, and so we, we moved back to Cook County. And years later, God would have me to start a church there. That's still going today. And then God would bring me here. That's still going today. In spite of COVID, glory to God, we're still going today. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. I want you to stand with me. You're going to focus on the promise or the problem? Now, if I ask you how many people in here have any kind of problem could y'all just encourage me? And if you have a problem, don't make up now. If you don't have one, don't raise your hand. But has anybody got any problems that you're dealing with now? Could you just hold? Oh, I'm in good company. I have a lot of brothers and sisters in here. Now, some of those problems may be not so huge. Some of them may be mountains. Some of them may be mount, uh, problems of health. Some of them be problems of uh, finding. I don't, you know, the list is endless what the problems are. And I know, you know, and, and I, I get so aggravated with all this COVID stuff. I get so aggravated with all this stuff because it, it just hinders. And I understand the reality. I understand. And periodically, through all these, uh, almost a year now, we've had, you know, there's certain seasons and people, that they, 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 they have it. we had so many of, of you have, have had it, and, and, and you're fine. You're okay. I've had good friends. The pastor that married me and my wife, he lost his wife due to that. So I know the reality of it. I, I understand that. But I do hate not praying for you like I used to do, gathering you all up here in the altar and getting you close. But your faith is still real, right? And you can believe God touched you right where you stand. And I'm, I'm asking you to, to, to do what it takes us to put faith in a person and focus on the promises of God. God's promises, they sung it, are what? Yes and amen. So you will never find God where you find a promise that he'll say no. God will never say not, it's not your promise. God will, say, God will never say that's for everybody else but not you. If there's a promise that you can find concerning your situation, God says your answer to that promise is yes. And the word amen means let it be so. So God says, all of my promises are yes, and, and let it be so in your life. Amen. Now, I remember here, they, when I first came to pastor, they said a lot of times when you say something really powerful, you'll hear the train blow the whistle. Howard, Howard am I telling the truth? Did y'all just hear the train whistle blow? <laughs> That's for the old Southland people right there. You hear that whistle blow, and it was almost they took it as a sign. Amen. God's just saying amen. He just used the train conductor to say amen. Amen to what he just said. (laughs) God's got promises for everybody in this place. Promises for you. Promises for your family. Promises for your health, for your finances. And he's got promises for you for this year. You're not going to ever come to this church and be discouraged, beat up, or run over. You're going to come here and get the, oh, blow that horn, God. You're going to come here and get encouraged in the gospel. And God's going to empower you to go out and do what he's called you to do. Amen? Just blow God blow. I'm taking it to that. You say, that's silly. I don't care. I'm enjoying it. Amen? Every promise that God's got for you is yes and amen. Just believe the promise. Focus on the promise. Don't focus on the problem. Problem's going to be there, and when that one gets done, there'll be others down the line waiting on you, I assure you. But, but Jennifer, you encouraged me so much, darling. Wave your hand so they know I ain't making up nobody. This little precious guy, I'm not trying to illuminate her and just you know, wear out. Just a few weeks ago, buried her husband. And I'm up here on the front row, and I look out my peripheral view over there, and I saw her standing down here right at the front, hands raised, magnifying, glorifying God. I said, how can she do it? How can she just be a few weeks away from burying her husband? And it wasn't like they expected it, just suddenly taken. And yet, there she stands. And that's what the Bible says: Fail not the assembling of yourselves together, whereby you may comfort, encourage one another. See, she encouraged me, and I'm like, you know, it made me look, and I go, man, if she can be down here praising and, and got her hands up, what a must! And, and as soon as I saw her, I put my hand up, because I want to tell you, I didn't really feel like putting my hand up this morning, as far as me, but I saw her with her hands up, so it, I put my hand up. I put my hand up. It encouraged me. You know, because my problems are not as big as what she's just gone through. And it encouraged me, Jennifer. I hope I didn't embarrass you. But, but it encouraged me for her to be down here just getting her praise on. She ain't letting us stop. You know, I'm not, I saw her. I got what's my excuse? Let me get my hand up in this air and start praising the magnifying God. Amen? And that's what we do. We focus on the promises of God and not on the problems. Amen? Come on. Would you give the Lord praise? You receive it this morning. Amen. Give him praise for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Go and focus on the promises. Amen. Love you. Wave at your family. we see you next Sunday.